came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. And you want me to just hop in right no, after we'll, that? Yeah, but we'll just hop in. Like right from the start, we'll just hop right in. And then I'll hop in. And then, no, you'll hop right in. And, and then, then I'll just go right into it. Yeah, and we'll just hop right in. And I'll hip-hop anonymous right back into there. No, and because we'll, we'll hop in. And I'll just go ahead and say, it's the podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Adam Narlock in the house tonight, as always. Hey, guys. Thanks well, for hopping in and listening. Oh, oh. oh. Is that Adam Narlock? Oh. It looks like Adam Narlock, but um, usually Adam answers our text, you know? Oh. <laughs> oh. Hey, don't this at guy, me, bro. Now, don't at now, me. Now, I will say this guy's been, he was shut down by the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Trump shut him down, so thoughts and prayers out to him. <laughs> um, you know, good thing that we make a little bit of money off of this thing, am I right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Furthermore, he's out playing says. around at SeaWorld. It was for yeah. free. Now, don't Did you Donald know? Did Donald Trump pay for that? <laughs> hey, don't you know what they do to blackfish down there? What do they do to whitefish down there? Adam, you never seen the documentary, well, and you guy, still support this that? This guy sent me the YouTube link yesterday. I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. And then we also have Ryan Scott tonight. How are we doing? And you know... It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. So hopping right into it, guys. Uh, we're going to be getting into A1 Jack Parsons. Mm. Yeah. Now, this is something a little new I wanted to try. Uh, okay. Been wanting to do an episode a while on this guy. Been putting it together slowly over the past couple months, over the holidays. Now, Would you say it's been a while? Would you guys be into doing maybe if this one um, is well received more type scientist type episodes? You know, I've been looking at like Einstein, um, Claude Shannon. You know, a lot of lesser known scientists. Not so much Einstein, <laughs> but you know mm. so that type of shit. We're skipping like Marie Curie just because she's Polish or what? Well, I mean, I I don't even know. So yeah. Okay. Well, she's so, not Polish. Her husband was Polish. I apologize. So that's something Same you thing. would be into doing more of or learning more about. Teaching the masses. Okay. Okay. Now, do you guys know what it takes to be cool? <laughs> because this guy we're learning about today was very cool. Jack Whiteside Parsons, mm. uh, known as the James Dean of the occult. Hey, uh, this got the occult. He's already cool in my book. Yeah, this guy is cool. He was a rocket engineer, uh, a chemist associated with Caltech. That's California Institute of Technology. Uh, he was a pioneer in both liquid and solid-fueled rockets and one of the founding members of the Jet Propulsions Laboratory and the Aerojet Corporation. Now, in addition to all of this, he dabbled, we'll say, in magic. That's magic with a CK. The occult and was briefly a high-ranking member of the OTO and some say protege of Aleister Crowley himself. Mr. Crowley. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. All of these latter involvements would go on to tarnish Jack's legacy, almost removing him from history completely. So this is going to be the first of our two-part series on old Jack. Uh, in this episode, we're going to get into his early life, upbringing, into his initial rocket experiments, start of Caltech, all the way through the founding of JPL. And, you know, some people also say this guy was the, uh, what, do you, what is the word, um, template, template for Tony Stark, mm. you know? Mm. This guy's suave. He's fucking cool. He's a rocket scientist. So um, this guy's a douchebag. No, I don't know. I feel like he seems like a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. I got a sight. After all that, that's all you have to say about him? Eh, He seems like a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, right up front, going to cite Strange Angel by George Pendle. I've seen that one. Highly (laughs) recommended. Uh, This was a great book. Pick it up. Sounds like a porno. Strange Angel. Strange Angel. <laughs> oh, you're thinking Strange of Burning Angel. Angel. Whoa. Evil Angel. Oh, yeah. Burning Angel. Yeah. 
but yeah, most uh, majority of the research comes from that book. Great read. Um, one of the better books I've read while doing research for this stuff. And you know how they say, you guys know how they say it's not rocket science? <laughs> All the time. I said that today. Well, in this case, it is that. Huh? It is exactly that. Um, so let's hop right into it. And we'll just hop right in. We'll hop right in. Now, Jack's parents, uh, Ruth Virginia Whiteside and Marvel H. Parsons. Coincidence? I think not. Hey, another Tony Stark connection, right? Um, they moved to California from Massachusetts in 1913 in hopes of a better life. Now, California was said to be booming since the gold rush of 1849. And while the gold was mostly gone by 1913, the promise of a better life remained for many Americans. And Marvel and Ruth decided to take their chances, roll the dice. Sounds familiar. Yeah, we all came out here for that reason, right? Yeah. Now, a little under a year after their move to Los Angeles, on October 2nd, 1914, Marvel Whiteside Parsons, born at the Good Samaritan Hospital. Now, growing up, his parents, or I guess more so his mother, would call him Jack um, because by 1915, Ruth would finalize her divorce proceedings, uh, leading her to officially change his name to John Whiteside Parsons on all official documents. So no more Marvel. And this was important because Jack never had a father growing up. Um, he never had a prominent male role model, a father figure. This was something that Jack would look for his entire life. So he was mad at his dad, not me. Yeah. What old Marvel did. Well, I don't think he was mad at his dad. He didn't ever even really knew his dad. Mm. So Ruth's wealthy parents uh, moved out to retire in Pasadena, bought a badass mansion for the whole family um, on Orange Grove Avenue. Now, back in those times, a couple things we need to keep in mind. This was a different time. Mm. So, you know, Pasadena, this place was on the come up. This was essentially where all the wealthiest people went to live just outside of L.A. Um, Orange Grove was the happening spot to live uh, as there was some 52 millionaires populated the half-mile stretch on Orange Grove Avenue, including St. Louis beer millionaire Adolphus Bush in his giant mansion overlooking his wondrous Bush Gardens. Now, Bush Gardens in Pasadena? Yep, Bush Gardens. This was the original Bush Gardens, just like the theme park. Mm. That's what that's based on. I did not know that. I did not know that. I did not know that. (laughs) (laughs) I learned something already. Now, Bush Gardens... Brought in thousands of tourists a year. Um, well, these are just his personal gardens? Yeah, they were like, um, what is that seventh wonder of the world? Ba- Babylon Gardens? The hanging gardens. Yeah, hanging gardens. Something like that. Just mm-hmm. a big old, um, what are those things called? Booties. Botanical gardens. You know those places? We got one in Norfolk, right? Yeah, those. Yes, it's like that. It's like um, just a garden, beautiful place where mm. people go frolic, I guess. <laughs> mm. Tiptoeing through the tulips. Kind of like Versailles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. Beautiful. This uh, giant bush garden, it was just south of Parsons' residence. This was basically his backyard. So it's no secret that Jack spent his youth surrounded by wealth and more or less um, unconstrained by reality. You know, this guy grew up surrounded by millionaires as a kid. He's got his imagination basically can go anywhere. Mm. Sounds like old Elon. The sky is the well, limit. exactly. But you know, around that wasn't. time, a lot of people that moved out west were very poor. So you know, the kids had to go work in the fucking sweatshops at like Fair five. Bad. Yeah, and you know, Jack, not that, not that kid. You know, he's basically free to do whatever he wants. Now, uh, growing up, he had hardly any friends at all. He was a big time reader, most notably tales of romance and fantasy. Among his favorites were Arabian Nights and Greek and Norse mythology uh, and Arthurian bedtime stories. Wait, is that what it's called? Is that what he says in Indiana Jones? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> now, this instilled in Jack a yearning to 
belonged to some sort of noble group. Uh, he wanted to do something with his life, you know? And he was obsessed with going to the moon. And this would come from Jules Verne's 1865. Rob, you want to hit that French for us? <laughs> De la terre à la lune. Now, is that a French accent? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you got to sound like a pussy. De la terre à la lune. <laughs> <laughs> is that also Spanish? <laughs> I've been in Southern California too. Say hello to my little friend. De la terra la long. Sound like Tony Montana. (laughs) (laughs) All right, come on, get it. De la terra la la long. (laughs) We need to call in Greg for this. (laughs) Well, basically, from the earth to the moon. Now, this was read by young Jack, and this would fuel his obsession. Actually, one of my favorite movies, not going to lie to you. The old, uh, what was that, 1914? Oh, a Trip to the Moon? Oh, that's a different, uh, I don't think that's the same thing. It might not be. I'm it's not saying. a Trip to the Moon. But you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Black and white. But Smashing it's, Pumpkins, Tonight, Tonight, music video. Yeah, but it's a totally different thing. And we'll get to um, that later. <laughs> <laughs> and so, we're just going to hop right into it. Um, but... By the time he was 12, um, Jack was on to sci-fi pulp magazines that became popular around the time. So some of the magazines that he loved to read were Weird Tales, Miracle Science, and Fantasy Stories. Yep, that's you. Astounding, astounding Stories of Super Science and Amazing Stories, whose motto was... Extravagant Fiction Today, Cold Fact Tomorrow. Now, so... Basically, what they're saying here is this stuff is going to be the future. Mm. Now, this was uh, pretty accurate, you know? I mean, how many times have we discussed sci-fi that predicted future inventions? Mm. AI. Yep. Um, Alien. Yeah. Rod Serling, Night Gallery, predicted iPads, stuff like that. I mean, you know, in Parsons' era, Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea basically predicts submarines. And H.G. Wells, mm. War in the Air, predicts aerial combat. So it wasn't out of the question for Jack to have hopes of making it to the moon someday, right? Mm. We, I mean, that's reasonable, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Young guy wants to go to the moon. Kid can dream. Now, Young guy. keep in mind, Wright brothers, they just invented the airplane. So a lot of scientists at the time were preoccupied with trying to evolve that. Jack's saying, fuck the airplane, skip over, skip a step. Yep. We're getting to the moon. Yeah. Yep. So Red Rocks. Not too unreasonable, but to truly understand Jack's story, we have to look at a history of rockets at the time he was around. Because you, me, T-Bag, <laughs> uh, we've always had rockets in our lives, right? Yep. I mean, we've always known what a rocket is. <laughs> we've seen a rocket, you know? A few times. <laughs> yeah. Seen a couple rockets. Now, so of course, looking at history, it's obvious that rockets were the next step in exploration. Like when you look back at the airplane and then the rockets and the space race, like for us, that's obvious, mm. um, you know, because we're looking back, hindsight. But back in the mid-1900s, this was far, far from the case. So, little history side note. Juan Hu. Who? All right, this guy, Juan Hu. Oh, boy. He was a Chinese bureaucrat who in 1500 attempted the first manned rocket flight. I'm already seeing like Wiley Coyote type shit. Oh, that's exactly. <laughs> no. So, he builds a chair sitting on two wheels oh. and attached 47 black powder <laughs> rockets to the base. <laughs> This sounds like something we would have done. Sounds like jackass. (laughs) In each hand, he held a kite in order to help maintain his flight when he was in the air. Um, So he had. (laughs) (laughs) The fifteen hundred. Hey, this guy was way ahead of his time. Today's episode, (laughs) we're going to the moon. (laughs) So, so so he has the fuses lit. Uh, and the chair became engulfed in flames as the rockets ignited. An explosion rang out through the air. And when the smoke cleared, 
there was no sign of the kites, the chair, or Mr. Who. Who? Uh, so, you know, he's probably out there in space somewhere right now. <laughs> Must have worked. <laughs> now, you know, throughout the years, very few people tried to repeat this whole debacle. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, in the 17 and 1800s, you had rockets being used as weapons, but these were more or less just black powder fireworks. Um, fire arrows, the Chinaman called them. Mm. Um, now, I'm running a lot this episode already. Oh, yeah, this is a history episode, guys. Um, And like Rob said, we're going to the moon. Now, rockets would appear in fiction works as a way to get into space, but this was mere fiction, and this was never taken seriously by science at the time. This is We're up to about 1920s now. So, rocket science. Um, Jack in no way invented rocket science, but I'd say he played a major role in helping to popularize it, make it a legitimate field of study in modern science at the time. Now, one of America's first rocket pioneers, if not its first, is credited to this guy, Robert Goddard. A bit older than Jack, born in 1882, uh, and much like Jack, he became fascinated with space travel at a young age. Um, He went on to devote his life to what he referred to as high-altitude research. And we've all done a little bit of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in 1919, he published A Method of Reaching High Altitudes. This, he basically, in this work, he hypothesized that a rocket could reach um, a high enough velocity to escape Earth's atmosphere. Pretty simple, right? Simple stuff, mm-hmm. right? So this hi- whole hypothesis... Um, as like a rocket getting to the moon. This was like a way to test if the rocket worked. He like wrote up this whole thing about it. And this was um, in a paper in order to get more funding for his research. But essentially the media caught wind of this and they stirred up sensation titles like Aim to reach moon with new rocket. Modern Jules Verne invents rocket to reach the moon. And Goddard, he became mocked, attacked by his peers in scientific journals. Uh, He began to be referred to as the Moon Rocket Man. Um, Moon Rocket Man. It's actually pretty badass. Well, not at the time. (laughs) This was basically an embarrassment. Uh, He was so embarrassed uh, because he was like a shy guy. So he retreated into hiding in New Mexico. Oh, wow, dude, he gave into to the haters and internet bullies. Yep, and retreated just outside of Roswell, New Mexico to mm. do his rocket research for mm. the rest of his life. Interesting. Aliens caught wind of this. Well, you know, hey, save it for next episode, okay. guys. We'll get okay. into all our theories. Now, con- he continued his research, and he was very, um, what's the word? Like, he wouldn't share it with anybody. Um, even je ne sais quoi. even those few uh, who took him seriously, he would like not show them anything he had been working on because he thought he'd be mocked, he'd be ridiculed as Moon Rocket Man. It's like when Rob comes up with an outline <laughs> or a scheme to get money, basically, <laughs> <laughs> or a T-shirt design. Yeah, hey, I shared that with everyone. <laughs> now, Jack is coming of age. He's obsessed with rockets, space travel, science fiction, pulp magazines. Yeah, but for him. There's no courses in rocketry. Mm. Um, Science magazines didn't discuss this. Uh, Rocketry as a means of flight was pretty much laughed at by modern science. Well, yeah, after the whole Han Wu thing. Well, that was in the 1500s. (laughs) We're up to, they got the airplanes now. Yeah, but imagine people are probably thinking like, rockets, fuck that, dude. I'm not having my chair fucking blow up. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, science at the time, they were like, (laughs) (laughs) Rockets? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, they can would you, just laugh and scoff at that. Can you imagine these guys were like sitting around drinking some whiskey on a chalkboard drawing like stick figures holding giant pieces of like dynamite with like, just I just can't imagine like their initial before they got the papers going. You mean the Chinese guy? No, I'm talking about like these guys in the early 1900s. Oh, like, well. Just plotting, like scheming what it would look like going to the moon. Like a little stick figure sitting on a rocket going... And like the math is like really fast velocity equals get to the moon. Well, no, no, no. See, oh. that's where you're wrong. See? Now, see, we're going to learn learning. that. These that's- are basically the guys you're talking about. Now, you, Adam, yeah. 
you would be one of these scientists laughing at. No, no, I would be the guy on the chair getting blown up. (laughs) No, that's what they all thought of this was like stupid. Like, oh, you're going to get to the moon in a rocket? Like, no, you know, no way. I would be the guy egging it on, like, yes, come on, let's go. I'll be your crash test dummy. So you'd be a, a young Jack. Well, I'm not that smart, but. Okay. I would be willing, if he came up with the math and the product, I would be the guy to sit in there and blow up if I needed to. Okay. So rockets at this time, about 1925. Blow um, me, beautiful. <laughs> rockets really hadn't come too far since the Chinese fire arrow days. Uh, but there was a there was little build your own rocket kits okay. in the uh, pages of pulp magazines that Jack read. See, we did that last week in class. Yeah, and he would dabble in building his first ever sky rockets. You, you should know? have to get some pulp magazines. Now this is uh, every little kid does this, right? You build a rocket, you build a model rocket, launch it, right? Yeah, the scouts, yeah. yeah. You do so, that in science class in like middle school, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's what Jack was doing out here. So 1925, Jack enters Washington Junior High, age 12. Uh, he's bullied, teased ruthlessly for his fancy clothes, uh, being polite, and being a sissy or mummy's boy. <laughs> Savages in this town. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh... This led Jack to typically stay away from crowds. So um, this guy's stunting on everyone, and they're just hating on him. Yeah, basically, he was, uh, you know, came from wealth, just always dressed. The fuck out. Yeah, he always had like a three piece suit. He's on. like Conor McGregor. Exactly. He's like Rob at homecoming. Yes, exactly. You're Rob going to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> now this led Jack to typically stay away from the crowds. He would retreat into his books, and one day a schoolyard scuffle would break out. An old Ed Foreman. Not to be confused with Red Foreman. Yep. Uh, came to the aid of Jack. He was two years older, uh, big for his age, good-looking, street-smart guy, and this started the closest friendship of Jack's life. Um, Jack called his friendship with Ed essential in developing his male character because, mm-hmm. like we said, didn't have a father figure. Looked up to Ed. No way to know guy. who won the Jets game. Yep. Now, they would spend their days discussing science fiction. They were both huge fans. Rocketry, a lot of towel-snapping, <laughs> ball-busting, locker room talk. Uh, you know, they became best friends. And it's around this time, Jack claims to have attempted to summon the devil in his room and says he succeeded in scaring the wits out of himself and this would pretty much turn him off of occult studies until years later. You know, kids are doing this now. You guys heard of this? They're they're doing this. They you like take a piece of paper, put like two pencils in the middle, write like yes, no, yes, no, and I forget what you say. But like if the pencil falls off and points to us, you ask it a question. They're doing this shit now, like a Ouija board. Yeah, but like you're actually supposed to summon the devil. <clears throat> well. That seems like some intense uh, ritual magic. <laughs> oh yeah, super intense right there. Well, magic with a CK. No, I think yeah. they're I think they're doing it wrong. There's a misunderstanding. You're not going to summon the devil with a couple pencil sticks, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, Ed and Jack both attended John Muir High School in 1929. Um, they became closer friends. Their interest in rocketry would grow. And Ed and Jack together became determined to build a rocket capable of getting to the moon. In high school, they were troublemakers, known for mischief, a couple of powder monkeys. That's cool. We're bringing it back. (laughs) Powder monkeys. Was that racist? (laughs) That's what one of the principals referred to them as. Uh, Now, Jack was interested in fencing and archery, although his increased interest in explosives and lack of good grades led Ruth to enroll Jack in Brown Military Academy for boys. That was right here in San Diego in uh, Pacific Beach. Mm. Does not exist anymore. Jack probably What's there now? I do not know. Now, this did not last long. Jack did not spend a long time there as he was promptly sent home after he blew up the toilets in the whole goddamn <laughs> See, place. I told you he blew that shit up. <laughs> now, uh, blew those toilets right up. Yeah, he blew up all, all the, the toilets. Cherry bombs. Uh, now, also in LA at this time, 
all these prominent aviators. You know, you got Howard Hughes. Leonardo um, DiCaprio. Yeah, pioneer companies in aviation are starting to set up shop in L.A., making it the capital of aviation in America. But rockets still were not seen as practical. Now, by the 20s and 30s, there were small pockets of uh, rocket enthusiasts popping up in uh, places like Argentina, Austria, the UK, Russia, France, Japan, all over the world. Um, Probably the most prominent of all was Germany in 1927, the Varen für Raumschiffahrt, the VFR, Translated to the Association for Space Navigation. Are these the same guys that came up with like the V1, V2 rockets? This was formed in Germany, able to conduct research in an old army fort. And their most notable member was a 17-year-old Werner von Braun. We familiar? That name sounds very familiar. Now, he was about two years older than Jack at this time. And um, Jack and Ed would even write Von Braun for information on rockets as these small groups tended to pay attention to each other um, to, you know, see what progress was being made. Back in the 1920s. (laughs) Yep. Pen pal. Ever heard of it? (laughs) (laughs) uh, Barely know what's going on across the country, but they know what's going on over in Germany. Yeah, they would write to each other. This I mean, there guy was, didn't, he didn't want to talk to anybody except for people in his little clique. I get it. Yeah, Jack uh, is even said to have spoken on the telephone with Von Braun numerous times. Imagine that phone bill. Uh, yeah, for hours as they were all fanatics about rockets. Uh, Von Braun was easily one of the sharper minds at play in that time period. And for those that don't know, Von Braun, he ended up becoming a Nazi, worked for the Nazis, developing the V-2 rocket, and U.S. actually brought him over, absolved him of all war crimes. Yep, brought him over to head up NASA, helped us get to the moon. So these guys are having hour-long phone calls talking about rockets. When we were their age, we're sitting there having hour-long phone calls with girls, hoping that they would have sex with us. Hey, well... Plenty of sex, all right, in this uh, episode. <laughs> now, uh, could have been thinking about rockets instead. Yep, yep. So, what kind of rockets? Well, could have been thinking about both, as right. we'll see. Now, around this time um, in Parsons' life, this was also the onset of the Great Depression. Um, this left Jack's family on hard times, much like the rest of the country. Um, Jack and Ed both dropped out of Muir High School in 1931. Jack would later attend a private university school. I guess this was like a prep school, kind of. Mm. Um, Unlike previous schools, Jack did extremely well here. He ran the school's newspaper. Um, He was pushed into studying chemistry by many of the school's professors who came from the nearby Caltech. And due to the Depression... Jack would work weekends at the Hercules Powder Company, where he would pick up even more education on explosives. Because by this time, he was studying chemistry, working with explosives in his spare time, as this was all a means to learn more about propellant fuel for his rockets. Now, sometimes Jack would steal a few explosives here and there for him and Ed to use as they were still building and experimenting with rockets. This could have gone either way, man. I mean, he's already blown up school bathrooms. Yeah, it real big into explosives. He was like uh, Ryan Shin blowing himself up oh, with the white God. gas. Like uh, Ryan Shin, how about us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, all kids I feel like are are at some That's level true. into like you know lighting shit on fire. Right. We're all but this guy powers. was actually took it one step further. He wanted to mix chemicals to find out what was the best to use for fuel as rockets. You know, this guy is the original Homer Hickam. Like uh, Homer Hickam, you know that guy, the West Virginia guy? Yep, yep. Why was he so famous again? He just like was into rockets and his dad didn't like it. He was like, do you understand me, boy, the stupid rockets? <laughs> I don't want you playing with the stupid rockets, boy. You're going to work the coal mines. <laughs> Ain't no future in the rockets. <laughs> so Jack Parsons, he would go on to graduate from the university school in 1933. Uh, he moved in with his mother and grandmother to a smaller house 
on St. John Avenue as his grandfather had passed away. Uh, He eventually rolled in Pasadena Junior College in order to earn an associate's degree in physics and chemistry, but dropped out after only a term because it was just too expensive. Um, So he took a full-time job at the Hercules Powder Company. And Jack also worked up in San Francisco, up in the Bay for a brief period, in hopes of saving up for Stanford. Mm. But it was also too expensive and he returned to Pasadena. Now, this is the early stages of what would go on to morph into the Jet Propulsions Laboratory and Aerojet Company, and this group of men would more or less be sealed in the annals of history as the flame that would ignite the fuse that would ignite the rocket that would launch the USA into space. (laughs) That was all off the dome, folks. I, you can't see the outline. That was all off the dome. <laughs> so so they basically got this rocket stuff down as far as they can with the primitive resources that they had. This man's working a full-time job and coming up with fucking rockets. I had a powder company. Well, he's, you know, he's like, uh, I think he was like supervisor, you know, stealing, mm. stealing uh, explosives here and That's there. That's what it was. And then fucking with this stuff in his spare time. There we go. Heard his um, nose. Now, again, they'd gone as far as they can with the resources they had, but if they wanted to progress, they needed state-of-the-art materials. Just so happens, Caltech had this. Jack and Ed go to a lecture on the work of Austrian rocket engineer Eugene Senga (laughs) and hypothetical above-stratospheric aircraft by William Bollet. The William Bullock. <laughs> and he was a PhD student specializing in rocket-powered aircraft. So they approach this guy, and they say, hey, we're interested in designing liquid fuel rocket motors. Add us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and Belay is like, hey, go talk to this other guy, uh, also a PhD student <laughs> named Frank Molina. Hey, look, I got a rocket guy, right? Oh no! The, this what I think of is this. So they're at um, they're at Caltech, right? This is like the scene in Animal House when they go into the uh, Niedermeyer's fraternity, and he's <laughs> like, "Hey, have you met uh, Muhammad?" And, and they keep taking him back to those guys. All the nerds. Yeah, he's just like, uh, "Go talk to this other guy." You know, I'm doing these speeches. <laughs> go talk to this guy named Frank Molina. So um, they took the whole fucking bar. <laughs> This guy was a mathematician, mechanical engineer, um, and he was composing a thesis on rocket propulsion, and he shared their interests, and he was like, hey, Frank Molina, Rush Chairman, damn glad to meet you. (laughs) Uh, you He was on board with what they were doing. So Parsons, Ed Foreman, and Frank Molina applied for funding from Caltech together, but they did not mention that the ultimate goal was to develop rockets for space exploration. Because, you know, they basically thought, hey, if we put anything in here about rockets getting to space, we're not going to get the funding um, because of the stigma of rockets Mm. um, in academics at the time. So Molina's doctoral advisor, Theodore von Karman, uh, he saw something in the group and their proposals. So he says, hey, We got this old lab here. No one's using it. So, hell, why don't y'all fuck around in there uh, for the time being? (laughs) Go fuck around this old (laughs) lab. Just set up shop in there, basically. Just blow blow the toilets up. Um, So, this was the Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory, also known as Galsit. And thus was born the (laughs) Galsit Rocket Research Group. I had one of those the other night. What? A Galsit. A gal, a gal sit on your face? A gal sit on my rocket. <laughs> this guy's doing his own rocket research. <laughs> you set me up for that one, you sick son of a bitch. <laughs> so with this group, Jack was the chemist, Ed was the machinist, and Melina was the technical theoretician. Is that how you say that? Theoretician. So he's just technically making stuff up? He's the technical theory guy. He does all the math to make sure what they're proposing is going to work. It's like Ryan here on the podcast. He's the theoretician. Right. 
Now Adam tells the <coughs> jokes and Rob gets all the girls. Now, still no finance due to the depression, but at least they had better resources and a legit facility. Hmm. So around this time, it's 1934. Not just fucking around in the old lab. Yep. Well, actually, they are fucking around in the old lab. That's (laughs) what they got. They were fucking around in a field behind Jack's house. Now they got a lab. Real October sky-like shit. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Jack, he's 21 years of age. Uh, He meets and marries Helen Northrup. Mm. Now, Jack... Mistake number one, dude. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll find out. Just met and married her just like that? Well... He was still, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll gloss over that. He, he just Young and dumb and full keep of Keep in gum. mind, Got yeah, it. you know, young kids, well, uh, he meets and marries her. Um, he was still in employment for uh, explosives manufacturer Halifax Powder Company. Uh, he spent most of his wages and as for he spent most of his wages on funding the Gausset Rocket Research Group, and for extra money, he manufactured nitroglycerin <laughs> in their home. <laughs> he made his own <laughs> side job. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. This guy was manufacturing nitroglycerin in their home. Made his little laboratory on the front porch. Can I? Can I side story? Go for A segue. it. Segue. So I used to when I first moved out here, I was partying with this guy named Justin smart guy like he's got doctoral degrees and like <clears throat> guy was wicked smart and uh we, he would just like invite people over like he had this house it wasn't his it was his mom's but his mom was never home he'd have people over like every night to just rage but okay. everybody else would be like drinking playing games getting fucked up and he's just in the kitchen making chloroform on a stove and he would like tell people, "Hey, come over and smell this." Okay, that guy was a raper. I don't know that he was, but I'm just saying. No, if you're making the, nitroglycerin uh, in the home. Okay, nitroglycerin is one thing, but to specifically throw parties and make no, chloroform. No. He was raping you. He was. Yeah. <laughs> okay, don't, don't tarnish hey, this ladies, man. Ladies, come smell this. Now, come on, Jack Parsons. He can't do anything but sell it. Never seen again. <laughs> Actually, funnily enough, never saw a girl at the party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were all in his room. <laughs> so, okay, so back to Jack. You know, he's nitroglycerin side gig. Now, at one point, he pawned Helen's engagement ring, mm. uh, you know, for money. And he often asked... <laughs> what else did you want? <laughs> <laughs> Just for that Some nitroglycerin. Now, he often asked her family for loans. Yes. So yes. this guy's a model husband. Real that. winner. Now, Galsett actually contacted liquid fuel rocket pioneer Robert Goddard. And he invited Molina to his uh, facility in Roswell, New Mexico. But he basically was had no interest in cooperating or sharing his research mm-hmm. due to his past experience. So instead, Galset welcomed on a few Caltech graduate students, Apollo Smith, Carlos Wood, Mark Muir Mills, Fred S. Miller, William C. Rockefeller, and Rudolph shot into the club now their first liquid fuel motor test took place near the devil's gate dam in the arroyo seco on halloween 1936 now this group really became a lot of um you know jack fucking around with rockets in his backyard with ed that's one thing you know that's what that's what he liked to do make nitroglycerin in his home (laughs) fucking set off explosions on his wife's wedding ring but once they went legit with galset uh this stuff was basically a lot of theory less experimenting um than jack was used to but he still had such a devotion to the craft that he sucked it up he went along with it um now three attempts to fire the rocket failed and on the fourth the oxygen line was ignited and billowed fire at the group uh they viewed this experience as a lesson and they continued experiments throughout the last quarter of 1936 after the final test was successfully completed in January of 37 von Karman agreed that they could perform their future experiments at an exclusive rocket testing facility 
on campus. And this is when they became dubbed the Suicide Squad <laughs> due to the danger of their work, uh, constant explosions that ripped throughout the campus. Uh, all the other students were like, hey, these guys are going to fucking kill themselves. They called them the Suicide Squad. Um, by 1938, the group had made their static rocket motor run for over a minute. Now, previous attempts burned for three seconds. So this was a huge accomplishment. In May of 1938, Parsons was invited by Forrest J. Ackerman to lecture on his rocketry work at Chapter 4 of the Los Angeles Science Fiction League. Some badass names, acronyms this episode. Oh, yeah, man. This is, I mean, you got to think, this is like... uh, Noir, like film mm. noir type L.A., you know, classic Chinatown, like Jack Nicholson, uh, you know, people riding around in three-piece suits. Black and, Dahlia uh, murder type oh, shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, crime is rampant, you know. I mean, this would be a perfect comic book. Roger Rabbit. Oh, yeah, Jessica Rabbit, Scarlet <laughs> Woman. Hey. Hey. That's coming up in our theories. So he's invited to the Los Angeles Science Fiction League. Um, and although he never joined the society, he occasionally attended their talks and on one occasion even had a conversation with a teenaged Ray Bradbury. Mm. So pretty, I mean, hey. there was a lot of prominent sci-fi writers at the time because I guess Jack was into this because those were the only guys taking rockets serious at the right, time. They could talk I mean, nerdy to each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, they did put them in their science fiction books, but you got to... You got to remember, a lot of science fiction writers, they're very into actual science. Mm. That's how they, you know, write very accurate portrayals of this stuff. And that's why a lot of science fiction, you know, like Jules Verne and that shit predicts uh, submarines, shit like that. They're ahead of the curve, ahead of their time. This is where shit really starts to ramp up into high gear. Um, So Frank Molina approached the National Academy of Sciences Committee on Air Corps Research and requested funding for research into what they referred to as jet propulsion. So essentially the names they used from here on out, like JPL, Aerojet, they tried to not use the word rocket Mm. because of its history, its connection to sci-fi, its stigma in the Sexual innuendos, got it, got it, got it. Academies, yep. Don't want anybody calling them, you know, the Red Rocket Boys. (laughs) (laughs) And so they use, you know, propulsion, uh, jet propulsion, jet, jets real big, you know, Jetsons. Um, So the military, they were interested in jet propulsion as a means of getting aircraft quickly airborne where there was insufficient room for a full-length runway. Um, and they gave Rocket Research Group $1,000 to put together a proposal on the feasibility of jet-assisted takeoff, also known as JADO. Now, I mean, $1,000, it's a lot of money at the time. Right, right. Well, this is just for a proposal. Yeah. This is just to put together a proposal. Mm. So by June of 1939, this $1,000 made them the first U.S. government-sanctioned Rocket Research Group. Now, since their formation in 1934, they had also performed experiments involving model black powder motor-propelled multi-stage rockets. And in a research paper submitted to the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, Jack reported that these rockets were capable of reaching velocities of 4,875 miles per hour. Mm. Jack theorized that solid fuels could be more effective than liquid types, primarily preferred by researchers of the past, such as Goddard. And in light of his progress, Caltech and Gausset Group received an additional 10K for rocket rocketry research from the AIAA. So in June of 1940... They submitted a report to the NAS in which they showed the feasibility of the project for the development of JADO, and they requested an additional 100K to continue. They received 22K. Hey, you know what they say in the rocket biz, shoot for the moon. 
So, you know, they've got 10K, they've got 22K. Now, it is rumored that over a quarter of their funding went to repairing damage to Caltech buildings caused by their experiments because, you know, they were blowing shit up left and right. Experiments were going wrong. Had to repair a lot of toilets. But uh, anyways, you know, so they develop what is now known as Galsit Project Number 1. Uh, they begin working on some of the early JDOs, and they continue to be scoffed at by other Caltech scientists. And many grew annoyed by their accidents and noise pollution, and you know they were forced to relocate their experiments back to the Arroyo Seco Desert. So, you know, they started out there, then they were going more legit. Guy said, "Hey, come on campus." Blowing up too much shit, so they push him back off. Come on campus? Back into the desert. So they get this little plot out in the desert, and this place has unventilated, corrugated iron sheds. Um, And these were both the research facilities and admin offices. So they're basically sitting out in the desert... (laughs) In a fucking thin can And steel sheds Working with high explosive rockets (laughs) And It is here That JPL Or the Jet Propulsions Lab Would be founded Boom That's, That's what we got so far You know this guy is He's one of the early This is basically the birth of American rocket science So he goes from basically being laughed at to getting 22k from the government funding who's laughing now yeah you know (laughs) it is rocket science (laughs) these guys go from playing around with model rocket kits into actually securing funding for rockets at the time we'll see we'll see next week they make a whole shitload more money and i will see you then or i will see you on another time (laughs) so tune in next week uh we're gonna get Next week, it's got is where the shit fucking hits the fan. Not really hits the fan. Gets a little weird. Yes, gets a little weird. This is where we're gonna get back to the roots of just talking about off the wall, um, you magic know, with a CK. Yep, magic fucking rituals, and this isn't magic like you know you guys are probably thinking David Blaine. What? Uh, this isn't Magic the Gathering. This isn't Magic the Gathering. This is like... This isn't at, pulling a Harry Houdini. Who was it? Uh, you guys know the famous quote by Arthur C. Clarke? Um, no. Can't say that I do, buddy. Do you guys know who Arthur C. Clarke is? He wrote 2001 A Space Odyssey. Ah. He wrote 2010. Why aren't you directing 2010, <laughs> Stan? Okay, so Arthur C. Clarke, he has a quote that says, Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Mm. So this is magic like, all right, space-time. That's all like one thing, right? Well, think about it. So um, magic is essentially like these guys, you know, Crowley, um, OTO, all that type of shit, that type of magic. They think that you can like kind of reprogram the universe to uh, your advantage, you know, Use magic. Uh, he thought, like, um, you know, I mean, this is also along the lines of drinking period blood and shit and eating the semen cookies, doing those type of rituals. Yes, yes. And Check then out also, that like, uh, sex magic. Like, the human orgasm is so powerful. Like, there's some type of thing there where you put your thoughts out in that moment and it becomes uh, a way to sort of reprogram this code. Uh, you get money, power, sex. Blood, this this is the magic. type of magic Parsons was into, you know. Pussy money weed, got yeah, got it, Really into that. Um, you know, we're gonna look at the downfall of him. Uh, we're gonna look at a lot of interesting stuff. Gonna be touching on a lot more Galsit. <laughs> oh yeah, plenty of Galsit going on next episode. So you guys should have a fucking blast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe you'll actually pay attention. <laughs> and as always, you know. Feel free to hit us up on the Instagram podcast from outer space. We still got a couple of these stickers hanging around. Some new stickies, huh? Yeah, saw that uh, a lot of you guys were interested. We sent a bunch of those out last week. Also, you know, as always, hit us up on email if you feel like doing that. Podcast from outer space at gmail.com. And thanks for listening, guys. 
And we also got a poll coming your way. We got a, uh, well, not that type. Um, not that kind of poll. A voting poll. Rob's done a few designs, uh, you know. A handful. A handful. And. A handful of polls coming your And we're going to, you know, post the poll up. Have you guys vote. See which, which design you like better. And that's what we're going to then print. And, you know, I saw this guy put together. It's amazing. I saw this guy put together a design in about half an hour for the um, Los Angeles Rams. Yep, yep. And who, this was his master plan to sell all these shirts when they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> How'd that one work uh, out for you, buddy? But that didn't happen. Well, sorry that Donald Trump colluded with Russia. Hey. Oh, the Patriots okay. win the Super Bowl again. Uh, once again, guys, once again, the sheep have gathered to watch another rigged uh, game. Uh, you know, this rigged is rigged last year, buddy. Uh, Patriots it, didn't win. Yeah, rigged. No, I told you it's the rigged every year. It's rigged every year. You guys are sheep. You guys are drones. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are, are sheep and drones, you know. Paying attention to this rigged pageantry. Yeah, this guy went to a party for just for the Super Bowl. <laughs> Everybody does that. <laughs> but we're sheep. This guy didn't even watch the damn game. That's right. He's not a sheep. He's explored his mind, and he has gone to um, the place where they kidnap Shamu and put him in a chlorine tank. <laughs> <laughs> I was the black sheep of the day. You should see those designs hopefully coming up sometime soon whenever uh, Rob gets those finished. (laughs) So we know that might be a while. And basically on that, so long and thanks for all the fish.